Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today, I have with me artist Lori Fisher. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. I love the fact that you brought this beautiful piece behind us with the swaths of blue because it reminds me of how you and I first connected. Oh, true. <laughs> even though we didn't really know each other at that point. You know, obviously there's probably something else going on with this particular piece, but you could say it looks a little like a swimming pool. Yeah, for sure. Actually, before I painted this piece, I did um, a painting that was really reminiscent of water. It was accidental. And then it that translated into how I resolved this one. So you're right. wasn't intentional water, but... Well, tell me about this piece, and then we'll go back to our swimming pool connection, because now mm -hmm. that we've got people intrigued. Oh. <laughs> but let's talk about your art first, since that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, explaining the art is something that I, I don't know that I can do eloquently. Um, for me, I'm a process painter. Um, working with the materials is really the joy and, you know, the discovery and and um, just the act of creation itself. And so where they end up, they end up. So I don't come to a canvas with any preconceived ideas at all. So I, I definitely didn't have a swimming pool or water in mind or a color palette. This one, you can see, if you look closely enough, a lot of layers behind it, different colors and different ideas. And that's just how they evolve. So because I am not an artist, when you say process painter, I think I have a sense of what that means. But for you, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a process painter? Well, and I didn't mean to say that as if it's some title that I assigned to myself. But um, as I've learned about myself as a painter over the years, um, I've realized that it's the interaction with the materials themselves that inspire me. So sometimes when I need a boost or, um, I'll or yeah, just need a little dose of inspiration, I'll just go wander around at the art store and a color might jump out at me or um, a new material, a new oil stick or something, and it'll just transform all the work in the studio at that time. And so... You know, color is definitely one of my subjects, but it's also because of the material itself and the color is part of that material. And so I, I really just, uh, I get really lost in just the, the uh, contact with the materials, you know, with my body. So um, when you use words like visceral, I mean, mm -hmm. you're really talking about this kind of physical, emotional interaction with the things that you're using to create your art. Yeah, I think there's a creative intelligence in our bodies. And again, I only came to know that because, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at a, at a piece that I'm stuck on, they all get stuck. And they that's why they can take months sometimes and, and they all get to a place where I'm just not sure. And sometimes I'll turn it against the wall and won't look at it for a while. Or, you know, I have my methods of getting back into it. But sometimes as I'm stuck trying to solve something in my mind, even then I know that I just have to act. 
I don't always do that that well. Um, I sometimes spend too much time still thinking, thinking I can resolve it in my head or come up with an idea or come up with the next step in my head. But it, if I actually just pick up the paint, even if it's on something else, you know, a small study or something, if I actually just get going with the materials, usually it unlocks an answer or an idea or a next move. Sometimes I'm working on one painting and I think I'm, I'm making a mark on a painting over here and it turns out that mark actually belongs on another piece and it resolves it, you know, but so it's this kind of push-pull between all the work all the time, but it's really when I'm actually in process that the work begins to emerge. That might seem obvious, but it's not always that obvious, you know, you get close on a painting and you like certain parts of, of it and you, you know, you're working really hard not to then mess it up or preserve, you want to preserve something that you like. Sometimes you have to destroy that, you know, and um, yeah, over time I've just learned to, to take risks, trust my gut and, you know, just throw paint around, pretty much. Does this piece have a name to it, or does it just exist the way that it is and people can interpret it the way that they want to? Well, it's both. Um, I try not to title my paintings in a way that will um, create a, a, an idea or define. I don't like to limit the work I don't like to limit the work for the viewer either. You know, it's abstract work. I want people to see and connect with it however they see and connect with it if they do. But titling, titling can be fun. Um, this, this painting is called Red L. You know, I, again, in an attempt not to lead, you know, I didn't put the red L in there after having an idea of an L and it wasn't even an L. Usually I finish a painting and then the titles come afterwards after a few days of thinking about it or, you know, so sometimes I'm very literal in, in, in the titling just so I'm not leading the viewer. And what about this other piece that I have that we have in the studio with us? Oh, well, that, so that's interesting. That painting is called Juliet. And um, the reason why it's called Juliet is because it's sort of, reminded me of a code flag, nautical code, code flags. And one of the nautical code, code flags is Romeo. And there's no Juliet. So that's Juliet. So when we asked you to provide us with information before you came in, you talked about the fact that writing and specifically haikus were something that you kind of worked with for quite a while. And as you're describing the, the Romeo and Juliet connection, that kind of evokes that, that writing, that literary um, aspect of the work that you do. I'm pretty fond of poetry and haiku because they are sort of abstracted varieties of writing. You know, I like the language itself. And when I was writing more, I was often really enamored with creating the sentence or creating a poem, you know, moving the words around so that they sounded and felt and looked a certain way visually. And um, 
yeah, it is. It's a, it's an abstracted form of, of writing. I think that's why I've always liked E.E. E. Cummings is that, you know, there's, there's the words and it's what they say, but also the way that they look and what he does with punctuation. And yeah, it's really, in my mind, it's very masterful. I've never found another poet that I think I like quite the same way. Yeah. It's very artful. You have a graduate degree in clinical psychology. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm still I'm still the same person. I, you know, psychology is peeling back layers of humans, and um, it's similar still to what I'm doing in the studio. And it was similar, you know, writing was a step in between those things, you know, where I'm just really intrigued and enamored by our experience, the human experience, not necessarily you know, my painting is not necessarily emotional directly, but um, it's all a process of self-discovery, which is what intrigued me about psychology, helping others to really get to know their true selves. And um, I didn't end up pursuing clinical psychology as a career, but it's also a same thread to me, very similar. And, you know, having spend many years doing arguably some element of psychology in the work that I do in medicine, that is also very process oriented that you can go in and you can think, okay, well, I need to accomplish these goals, but this person also has their goals that they want to reach. And you're both bringing to the, to the table, your own backgrounds, personal experience, and you really don't know where it could end up until you both dive in and start interacting and having that collaborative relationship, mm -hmm. which can be a little intimidating at times. Yeah, it's very vulnerable. It takes a lot of trust. Yeah, they're similar. Did you need to move through that, move through a phase where you um, felt that vulnerability and allowed yourself to trust as you are you know, continuing to evolve your art? Was there ever a time of... I don't know, trepidation every day. <laughs> yeah. Every day still. Um, and not in an insecure way necessarily, but I am, I will be a student for life. There's no doubt. And I, am, I have no formal training and I started to paint. I don't know. I had a little yearning and started painting with a friend. Um, I had been writing and, I got a little bit tired of the limitations of language, actually, and explaining things. I don't didn't want to explain anything, anything anymore. And um, yeah, I started to paint, and I didn't know what I was doing at all. And it's been just um, an experiment the whole entire time, and you know, growing into more confidence that I just need to be as true as I can be and follow my own gut and what brings me alive and notice, you know, what that is and why I like a certain painting or why, I, you know, why I like a certain artist's work. What is it about it? You know, how can I access some of that in my own work? And, um, yeah, that's all pretty vulnerable, you know, cause you, really putting yourself out there and 
Um, but I don't feel intimidated by the vulnerability of, of painting so much. It's okay with me if people don't like my work, you know, it is okay with me. If I'm, if I'm painting authentic work, if I, I can feel if something, if I've accessed what I'm trying to access, what the world thinks doesn't matter. I like it. I like it when it resonates, you know, but you know, it's not about that anymore. So that requires a certain amount of trust in yourself. Yeah. And that comes and goes. Well, I have to say, it's a little comforting to hear you say this. <laughs> not that I want you to suffer in any way whatsoever, <laughs> but I think it's a very human thing and that it's not always something that people are willing to share, that there is this, you know, sense of uncertainty that kind of persists throughout life for most people. Yeah. Well, definitely for me. Well, for just maybe me too. Yeah. I guess <laughs> the both of us, we can suggest this. Uh -huh. I don't know. People who are watching, maybe you have this too or not, but we, we invite you to join us in this, <laughs> in this space. Um, this makes me think of our daughters and, um, and that we're coming back to the swimming pool. Um, because obviously you and I are both um, swim moms, or yeah. I, I want to say we are versus were, because I, I would submit that any, I was also a soccer mom, and uh -huh. I probably will always be a soccer mom to uh -huh. some extent. <laughs> but, um, you know, our daughters competed against each other. You and I probably spent many hours not knowing each other on opposite ends of the, uh -huh. of the pool deck. Um, and um, my daughter is 26, so I'm guessing that your daughter is also somewhere around that same age. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, I have really enjoyed getting to know my children as adults Yeah, because it's such a different phase. You're not raising them. It's sort of a co-existence. Mm -hmm. um, as you've continued to grow as an artist, what have you learned about yourself that maybe has had a, an impact on your relationship with your children? Well, my daughters have always been my biggest supporters. Yeah, truly, you know, right from the beginning. And I, I don't know where that came from. I, I don't know. I've never really thought about it other than I've always felt like they've been really enamored and um, excited for me finding something, you know, they're artistic as well, all each of them in their own right. Um, so maybe, maybe this will free them also to stay creative, and even if it's you know a, a hobby or something on the side. But they've been really, really crucial to me continuing. You know, as I you know as I was growing, I knew that. Um, they were right there on the sidelines, not all that differently than I've been there for them. So it's pretty beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Lots of times I'll paint something and, you know, somebody says, I want that. <laughs> so they're not just, you know, being sweet, even though they're sweet. Yeah. But I actually hadn't seen the the pool in this, and I kind of love it. There was another, the one that I mentioned before that is another painting of mine, actually. Um, 
that looked like water. Someone, someone said that it had a Hockneyus vibe because that water also has a what looks like a lane line in it. You know, bands of orange and white. Um, that one's actually at the gallery, but uh, it's great. It's a great connection. And now I'll look at this painting in a different way <laughs> from our years in uh, chlorine. Let's talk about your connection to water that goes beyond that that's chlorinated, because I know that you've lived in Maine for a long time. And prior to that, you lived across the big pond and you were connected to water in a different way. So when you talk about um, process painting and visceral reactions, you're actually drawing from a background that goes back to very early in your life. Yeah, I think that's an astute observation. Um, I it took me a long time to recognize that in myself that you know where this was coming from because it's definitely not a a literal. I saw this; it inspired me, and I went and painted something. It's often in a painting, in the process of painting, or when looking at something finished that I have a flash of a memory or a smell or a feeling um, that was recycled, that, that got lodged in there somewhere and made its way out again. And again, it's not as if I see something and then set out to put it on the canvas, but, th- but there's, there's definitely experiences that are coming through uh, yeah, smells too. Do you ever try to paint a smell? Not really. Mm-mm. But I think that sometimes when I'm looking at a work, there's a body memory for me in there, you know, of the way some something, you know, a, a rocky beach in, in Wales where, you know, I was five years old and just the way, you know, the, the very limited amount of memory I have is fog and salt and a jellyfish and a rock cliff. And somehow I'll suddenly be reminded of that after a finished painting. And so it's definitely not direct, but it seeps out. So interesting to talk about this because I, um, you know, there's kind of the the frontal and the prefrontal cortex and all of the things that are our executive functions and the things that we that we think we know, but then there's the things that we we know and we don't even you know where do they come from, you know where do they sit in our in our neurons and our brains and the rest of our body, and and when they do become they do kind of emerge again. Sometimes it can be really startling because we, we didn't even realize we forgot them. We, and we don't know where they've been the whole time. And this, again, this continues just indefinitely. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is um, one of the things I think about a lot when I'm working, I, th- I heard it, I'm, I heard a quote once 
um, I haven't verified it, but I heard a quote once that um, the artist uh, Philip Guston said, he was a he was a teacher in the mid century as well, an art professor, and um, I heard that he would say to his students, "Paint what you don't know," and that stuck with me because I think for a while, not having gone to school for art in the beginning, made me a little uncertain as to whether or not it was okay to call myself an artist or to do it this way to just learn on my own. Um, I, I had some questions about all that I didn't know. And when I heard that quote, it really was very freeing and very liberating because that's exactly what I do. It's exactly, you know, I'm always pushing you know, into the unknown, which is really uncomfortable and um, thrilling. Uh, but you're absolutely right that what is coming out through that channel is things we know or our experiences that are, I think, you know, lodged in our bodies and in our minds. And um, so... It's a dance, I guess, but I think that being comfortable in the unknown is more fruitful for me and my work than trying to know things and know how and become an expert at anything. That's, a, that's not a thing that I've heard many people say. I think people are either apt to... Um, just not ever worry about what they know or don't know, or they're apt to say, I want to become the best that I possibly can at one specific thing. But what you're describing where you're just making a commitment to not knowing and to uncertainty and to be willing to just process through that. I mean, that's, uh, that's not something that is uh, common, I think, for most people. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a, a community of artists necessarily that I'm in co communication about process with, although I read and look at as much art as I can. Um, but yeah, all I can say is that, you know, when I'm looking at a, a painting that need that isn't finished and that needs something, that the experience of of acting and just taking the risk, that's the experience. You know, that's the, that's the whole thing right there for me. You know, if I, if I walk out of a studio knowing that I had just liked um, not held myself back, and that might make it sound like I'm like all over the map. It's not like that. It's more, you know, can you trust yourself to scribble a whole bunch of pink on that dark brown just because you feel like you want to and it's scary to, to wreck it, you know, then it was a good day. And I feel really kind of elated by that. So I'm not sure that that directly, you know, answers what, what you were talking about. But for sure, um, the uncertainty, it, the uncertainty and then ending with a result that you're happy with, that's where the, like, the confidence in the work comes from. 
I don't think that that answered your question, though. No, it did. <laughs> because, you know, I think we're collectively struggling with this enormous uncertainty right now as a culture. So to say that for you, your willingness to wrestle with that, struggle with it, and then come out with something at the end, having trusted your willingness to wrestle with that, I think that's an important um it's an important consideration for all of us, really, that we're, you know, we're, nobody knows how to navigate this. And so just saying, okay, here we are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust who I am and what I do and know that there's no path forward that's laid out for me. So at least if I can commit to a path and get to the other side, I think that that's very powerful. Yeah. I think everything we need is in the present moment. And, you know, it can, you can be uncomfortable. Uh, you know, it is uncomfortable right now. Uh, but I think that it, if you're here now and you're in the moment, uh, there's nothing wrong. You know, and I think it's when we, you know, start to think too much about the future or the past that we create our own little dramas and yeah, you know, and I think that something like painting just really keeps me present. You know, I lose eight hours at a time. I'll just kind of like come up for air and I'm, oh my gosh, I got to go, you know, and um, it's a pretty great feeling to kind of just be there and not be fretting about what could come or how things have been, ideally. How did you come to the place where you decided, now it's time to bring my art to the world. Now I'd like to affiliate myself with the Portland Art Gallery and um, make myself more vulnerable and be willing to share the work that I'm doing. Well, I don't know how I would have gotten there if it were all up to me. You know, I can be a perfectionist in some ways. You know, it's never quite good enough. And so I was really lucky that, you know, I had opportunities present themselves to me. And so all I had to do was be brave and say yes you know, even if inside I was like, no, <laughs> you know, but I, um, you know, I was invited into um, a couple of galleries. So I was, I was fortunate that I didn't have to go through the submission process. And I learned, I've learned a lot just by, you know, working with galleries about how to, how to finish the work and prep the work and make it gallery ready uh, but if I had to, if I if I had to get to a point and then decide, okay, now I'm ready to take this to a different level. I I'm not sure I still would be <laughs> have you know taken that taken the leap because I would be waiting for the work to be you know just a little bit better or a little bit more X Y and Z. I don't know so. Um, but it was a real honor to join the gallery here in Portland because, you know, it's nice to 
be meeting other artists locally and have somewhere that is in our town and our little city that I love so much. So it's, it's really fantastic. I'm thrilled to be there. Did somebody look, find your art, look at your art and say, Lori, this is it. It is your time. You need to, um, you need to agree to this. You need to jump in and be willing to do this. Did somebody support you in that? Yeah. You know, there, yes. Um, along the way there've been those people and the first person that comes to mind, uh, I don't know, you know, Aaron Flett, I saw you have Aaron Flett pillows. So Aaron, who I, ha- I know I have a little history with her from another chapter of life. And, um, she had her screen prints in Serena and Lily, which is, I don't know if you know Serena and Lily, they're a home goods art. Uh, beautiful company, and um, they were probably one of the first places that I'm aware of that was curating art to sell online. And so this was years ago, and she, Erin said to me, you know, it's time. And I was like, mm it's not time. She's like, it's time. I was like, nope, it's not time. And she said, all right, I'm going to bypass you, and she went to them, and she said, you need to you know, check out her work. And they wrote to me and said, we want your work. And that was like the first really big, you know, brave. Yes. You know, I had to just go for it. So yeah, I think of her a lot in that way. And it's nice when you can trust someone who, and believe that they're seeing something that, you know, you can't see or don't want to see yet. So we'll always be grateful for that. Erin is a wonderful person. Yeah. And um, and I remember meeting her way before she had the success that she has worked so hard to achieve at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think it was it was a picnic, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. But this kind of, I don't even know how to describe it exactly, but it was kind of like a, a, a room full of artists bringing their things together and... Um, she sh- I looked at her stuff and I said, wow, I really like your design. And I think she actually gave me something even Probably. at that moment. Yeah. I ended sounds up, like Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I ended up doing some work with her on a story at some point. And then I think she gave me the pillows. I don't even know how this all came together. But then I just, you know, I've continued to be impressed that not only is she... I mean, she, she shares, she, and she brings people along and she, she doesn't just make it her own journey and her own path. And, and I, I feel like that's part of the, the creative collaborative that needs to take place in order to encourage people to continue. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have people like Aaron, not all of us are wired in the same way. And, you know, I mean, if we were all collaborative, it would be overwhelming, you know, but for those of us who, you know, I'm, I tend to be a bit quieter in that way. It's really fantastic to be, you know, scooped up by those who are leaders and, and, um, yeah, she's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's deep waters too. I like her a lot. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. 
And it is true that we can't all be uber collaborators because I would also be overwhelmed because yeah. <laughs> I also tend to be a little bit on the quiet side. Uh-huh. But it is nice to know that we can also kind of coexist within this kind of larger sphere and everybody contributes in the way that works and creates possibilities or space for other people to do the same. Yeah, for sure. It's There's a bit of a yin, yin yang to all of it, you know, and... Um, you know, I sometimes think about the the monks who are spending their days in prayer and like the, we need that too. And then we need the take charge leaders and vocal, you know, influencers in the world too. And it's all a big balance. I agree. Very, very well said. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation today. Me too. And, um, I will uh, forever associate yeah. you with the uh, <laughs> the lane lines yeah. and the swim mom. Um, you and I will probably always have that kind of in our hearts mm-hmm. that 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 past background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very glad that you're a member of the Portland Art Gallery now. It's been wonderful to have a conversation with you today. Thank you. It was really great to chat. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with artist Lori Fisher. And you can find her work at the Portland Art Gallery, also online, the Portland Art Gallery website. I hope you take the time to come to one of our openings in the future and get a chance to meet her. I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you've been listening to or watching Radio Maine. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me.